You know, I'm not really very big on reality shows. I like Antiques Roadshow. That's been a favorite for a long time. And now on Netflix, believe it or not, I'm watching The Great British Baking Show. <laughs> yeah, and, and liking it quite a bit. You know, I like the way that they pull together, even though, you know, somebody's going to come out on top, but it's a celebration of everybody how well they do because most of the reality shows cater to the self-centered, independent spirit, every man out or woman out for themselves kind of thing that really describes our culture. And even when teamwork is required to rise to the top, there's a lot of manipulative behavior going on behind the scenes, and you only get to the top by knocking everybody else down. But one reality show was different. And I borrowed this analogy from a message I listened to this last week on spiritual gifts from Pastor Chip Ingram of Living on the Edge. He's the one that did our, our parenting videos that we watched. And the reality show that he pointed out that was different was Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Remember that? Now, as an architect, I would watch that and I'd get anxiety because it really bothered me because I was concerned about the quality of work and how, how really can you do that, renovate a house in just a week's time when it takes concrete seven days just to get to the point where you can take the forms away. Anyway, but that's a whole other story. It's kind of like a doctor watching a doctor show. I'm sure they don't do that very often either. But uh, Chip, Chip Ingram helped me to see the human side of the reality how it changes and transforms people's lives. Families that were really experiencing or had experienced loss would apply on the show, families whose needs weren't being met. And they would take a family whose house was literally a real wreck. The rooms weren't large enough. There weren't enough rooms. There wasn't enough space. There, weren't the, there wasn't the room necessary and equipment often to meet special needs and those kind of things. And everything leaked, and what didn't leak didn't work. And while the family was given a vacation away, they would gather friends and neighbors who volunteered to help, and they would totally transform the house. And when they brought the family home, they would park a big semi-truck in front of the house, and the family would be get out of the limousine on the other side, and a, a cheering crowd of family, friends, and uh, neighbors welcomed them home. And then as the family stood in front of their home, they would move the truck, and the transformation of what they saw would stun them. Some would cry, some would jump up and down, some would hug one another, many took the Lord's name in vain, <laughs> but some would give thanks to God. And then as they were guided into each room of the home, they marveled at the extreme transformation. Each member of the family had individual rooms and individual spaces that were designed and built just for them, their likes, their dreams, their hobbies, their, their special needs, whatever it was, their personality, all those things. And their new home bore little resemblance to the home which they had left just the week before. And that's the kind of change that the Apostle Paul has in mind when he wrote about us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be metamorphosed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A real change that's as remarkable as when that caterpillar spins this chrysalis, and a few days later it, it emerges as a beautiful butterfly. Metamorphosis speaks of real change. 
It's a real change in attitude. It's a real change in character. It's a real change in spiritual knowledge. It's a real change in the soul, in our spirit, in our heart. It's a real change in the way that we relate to other people. And we can honestly say that who we are now in Christ has little resemblance or should have little resemblance to who we were before. A metamorphosis has taken place. God is in the process in each one of our hearts and lives of doing an extreme makeover. And we could call it extreme makeover church edition. Extreme makeover church edition. And I believe that deep down inside, as believers, we all long for this. That's why we watch shows like Extreme Makeover. We want to see positive change. We want to see something that really makes a difference in people's lives. We want to see taking something that is use unuseful and dysfunctional and see it become useful and functional. And I believe that God has put that desire into every one of us who are created in his image. Because the author of the ultimate extreme makeover, Jesus Christ, is working in the human heart. He's taking that which is old. He makes it new. Jesus Christ, working in the heart, is taking that which is broken and fixing it. Taking that which is unuseful and dysfunctional and making it useful and functional and winsome and beautiful. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 we have the ultimate extreme makeover. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. God's desire, the one who created everything that is, everything that's in the universe, everything it is, the one who created you and me and every other human being on this earth, his desire is to make or do an extreme makeover for every single person on earth. And as amazing as it is to see the transformation of a house, God wants to do a relational, spiritual, emotional, internal, forever transformation in every man, woman, and every child. He wants recreation. He wants to take the old and put it away. He wants something new to come in. He wants an open door in your heart and in your life in a relationship with Christ that gives you a new relationship, a new life, a new purpose, a new peace, a new joy. He wants to take the old and forgive. He wants to put your past behind you. He wants to take the old and cleanse. He wants to do an extreme makeover in your life and in mine. And the way he does it is through his son, Jesus Christ. And to show you how and why that works, mostly we'll talk about the why today and next Sunday mostly about the how, I want us to take us through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 again. We're going to spend a little time asking questions like, why does God want to do this? Why is an extreme makeover necessary, and how does that work? How does God do an extreme makeover in transforming us into the image of his Son? And How does he do that? In the book of Ephesians, we're going to learn exactly why and how he does that. So, let's begin in chapter 2 of Ephesians, and we begin with 
the before picture, who you used to be. I always like that on Stream Makeover. They show, you know, as they're coming into the house, they show the before pictures and the after pictures of every room, the total house. And, of course, the original Stream Makeover was the Extreme Makeover of the Human Body. And how remarkable, you know, as the, the woman or the dad or whoever it was would come down the stairs and their kids and their family and friends would see him for the first time. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> you know, it's just totally different. The before pictures and the after pictures. And so this is the before picture. This is your life before Christ came and began his work in you. Verse 2. This is how you lived before. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived, in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, we could say do a lot with this, but this is why we need an extreme makeover. So I want to give you just three brief observations about this. Who all of us were before we were in Christ. Who you were, or where you are now, if you don't know Christ personally. If you don't know Christ personally, this is where you are now. And it's not a pretty picture. Number one says, number one, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Put simply, that means we were separated from the life of God. That's what death means. It's separation. It's separated from the life of God. Physical death means separation of the soul from the body. Separation. The soul leaves the body. Spiritual death is separation from God. There's a wall, there's a barrier that separates us from having a relationship with God who made us. Secondly, you'll notice we were prisoners of the world system. Before we received Christ, we were trapped within the walls of the world system. The world system is all the systems of the world that's controlled by the prince of the power of the air, Satan. Under his power, trapped within the walls of the world system, we were prisoners. We were slaves to sin. Under Satan's power, we are prisoners to addiction. We are prisoners to dysfunctional relationships. We are prisoners to being addicted to pleasing people and, and addicted to try to get our own way. We're addicted to always being right. And then finally, Ephesians says, we were by nature children of wrath. Those who have not received Jesus Christ are objects of God's wrath. Apart from reconciliation through Christ, every person, by nature, who they truly are in their inner being, is the object of God's wrath, the object of his eternal judgment, the object of his condemnation. They are sons of disobedience. There is just judgment for living in a way that hurts other people. There is just judgment for lying, for stealing, for manipulating other people, for bullying other people. There is just judgment for selfishness and self-indulgence. There is just judgment for all the wrong things we have done. And God says, this is who you used to be. This is the before picture. You used to be dead. You used to be a prisoner used to be an object of wrath, 
no matter how good you looked to other people or how much you thought of yourself, your life was an absolute wreck. Destined for judgment. Destined for eternal judgment. But notice now that verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, who we are now. This is the, the after picture. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Some major changes have occurred here. And we've studied these in the book of Romans. You used to be dead, but now you're alive. You used to be a prisoner, but now you have been delivered from sin's power and from Satan's grip. And you've been delivered from your past mistakes. You used to be an object of wrath. But now you have a new standing before God as the righteousness of Christ. Doesn't get any better than that. You are righteous. You are cleansed. You have a new identity in Christ, a new power, a new future, a new purpose, a new family, and a new inheritance. Just like when they pull that truck away from the front of the house, wow, <laughs> before and after, extreme makeover. You know, the Bible talks about this. Because it's no wonder that all the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. They see, they witness the before and after picture of what God has done. And they say, wow, look at that. That is remarkable. And there is praise and joy in heaven. How's that for a crowd of witnesses <laughs> standing around? And why does God do this? Why is he in the business of extreme makeovers? Verses 7 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. Notice that verse 7 starts with, so that. And this begins what's called a purpose clause. This is the reason. This is the reason God does extreme makeovers. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one may boast. It's not your works. It's not your effort. You can't do it. Extreme makeovers are done by God. As helpless as that family on the TV show is, where, where the dad was in a wheelchair, and mom was working nights just to make ends meet, and their house was a wreck, and there was nothing that they could do about it, and someone came along and said, we will do it. We will do it. And God comes along and says, I will do an extreme makeover. And he does what only he can do in your life. God wants to do an extreme makeover in your life and in my life so that we might see the surpassing riches in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God wants to do an extreme makeover in your life to change the way you think. To transform you, as Romans 2, 12, 2 says, by the renewing of your mind. He wants to change the way you act so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable. He wants to change you so that you live the beautiful Christian life. God wants you to live a life that displays and reflects the beauty of Christ. 
was it last week we sang, let the beauty of Jesus be seen. That might have been the week before. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. God wants to transform you into the image of Christ. You see, you are a masterpiece in the making. You are the workmanship of the master. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You notice that we are God's workmanship for a purpose. We were created or recreated for good works. Now, as you know, good works have no place in salvation. No amount of good works will get you points with God or will get you saved. Good works do not produce salvation or gain points with God. But good works are produced by our salvation. The goal of being God's workmanship is that we were created for good works. And notice when God prepared us for these good works, he prepared them beforehand. That is, before the believer was created. God foreordained the particular good works that you are made to do. God had a purpose. He had a plan for you, even before he made you, even before he saved you. And this corresponds to what we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. God not only chose his own before the foundation of the world, he also prepared his own for the good works that they would walk in. So this begins the hit on the important questions. How do we know what these good works are? How do we know what God's purpose is for me? How do you know what God's purpose is for you? How do I know what God recreated me to be and to do? How do I know what God's will is for me personally? What am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to be serving? Where am I supposed to be doing these goods works and what specifically are they? Over the next few weeks, we're going to answer every one of those questions <laughs> and every one of those kinds of questions. But we begin to find the answer to these questions in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 7. The 19th verse of chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. See, there's no Ephesians 7. Ephesians chapter 2. Because the place where you are to serve and produce these good works that God prepared you for before, or prepared the good works for you beforehand, the place where you are to deploy, where we are to use our spiritual gifts, is the same place where God is at work doing his extreme makeovers. Where does God do his extreme makeover? Where is the place of this? First of all, he does them in a special community called the church. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling spirit, or dwelling of God in the spirit. Now I want you to, to circle some words in here, to mark in your Bible, beginning at, at verse 19 here. If you're using one of the Bibles in the, the rack, mark it anyway, because that'll bless somebody else later. They'll open up, well, why are all those circles there? And as they read them, God will bless them. In verse 19, mark or circle 
the word household. You are of God's household. In verse 21, notice that word in market building, in whom the whole building, and also in that verse, the holy temple, being fitted together, growing into a holy temple. And then verse 22, being built together, built together into what? Verse 22 still, circle dwelling, a dwelling of God in the Spirit. This all describes the special place where God does spiritual makeovers. In a special house, a holy temple, it's a supernatural community, and this house is called the church. For it is in a special community called the church that God does his extreme makeover church edition in each one of our hearts and lives, building us together. It's in the church where the old becomes new. It's in the church where the Holy Spirit is at work in his people, and Christ is the head, and he is the cornerstone. And Peter says that we come to him as a living stone, which is precious in the sight of God, whereas Peter puts it, you also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. The spiritual house where God does extreme makeovers is the church. Now, when you hear the word church, work on this. Don't put in your mind the church building. This building is just where the church meets, right? This is the church. This is the steeple. Open it up. And the people are the church. Don't think in your mind institutional religion. You know, usually as the media use it and they say the word church, they're meaning some kind of institutional thing. The church is the living, breathing, called out people of God. The church are those who are living in community, who are walking authentically, who are living significantly in purity and holiness, who are doing life together in the power of the Spirit of God based on the Word of God as a community. And this is where extreme makeovers happen. This is how God works and why the local church is the hope of the world. Have you ever thought of that? The hope of the world is not in politics. The hope of the world is not in, in government. It's not in economics. It's not in any of these systems of the world. The hope of the world is in the church. The church, that's the way God planned it. That is the hope of the world. And last week I mentioned that apart from the local church, the body of Christ, you cannot find your true identity, who you are in Christ. Apart from the church, you cannot find your true self who is a member of the body of Christ. Likewise, apart from the community of believers, this local church, you cannot walk in the good works that God has prepared for you. You cannot discover, develop, or employ your spiritual gifts. In other words, apart from the local church, you cannot fulfill the purpose that God has created and recreated you for. That purpose that gives you significance, that purpose that gives you joy and satisfaction, that, that purpose that gives God's pleasure and glorifies Him. Why does God want to restore you and gift you? So He can use you to pour out your love and His love and compassion and mercy on others. How does God want to do a work in you so you can be a beautiful, winsome, and loving person? 
recreated in the image of Jesus Christ. And apart from the local church, you cannot do or be what God uniquely recreated you to do and to be. Apart from the local church, it's trying to like living your life in the old house. <laughs> I just want to go back into the old house and say, God, would you please work? Will you do this? Please use me. And you're living in the old house. And God said, you, got, you don't have the tools there to do it. So he makes us new. And brings us into a new house together. So where does God do his extreme makeovers? First of all, he does them in a special community, the church. And secondly, he does them in your heart. In your heart. Go to the third chapter of Ephesians and down to verse 14. And verse 14 is another one of those places where Paul drops to his knees and just begins praising God and praying. He says in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, where? In the inner man. That Christ may dwell, where? In your heart, through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Notice where God does his extreme makeovers. He does it in our hearts. That you may strengthen, be strengthened through his spirit in the inner man, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Only God can reach in and cure and cleanse the inner man. God's work at salvation and after that in his field of work is in the inner man. His salvation is in the inner man. His field of work in making us like Jesus Christ is in, in the inner man. It's the base. It's where spiritual life exists, where it must grow. It's where the Holy Spirit changes our thinking. It's in the inner man where we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's in the inner man where we are transformed from glory to glory to the image of Christ. And there we're going to have to end with this. In his neat little booklet, My Heart, Christ Home, Robert Munger pictures the Christian life as a house. And he pictures it as a house through which Jesus goes from room to room in our hearts, we could say. And in the library, which he says is the mind, Jesus finds trash and all kinds of worthless, worthless things, which he proceeds to throw out and replace with his word. And in the dining room of appetite, Jesus finds many sinful desires uh, listed on a worldly menu. In the place of such things as prestige, materialism, and lust, he puts humility, meekness, love, and other virtues for which believers are to hunger and thirst. He goes to the living room of fellowship where he finds many worldly companions and activities. Jesus goes through the workshop where only toys are being made. <laughs> He goes to the closet, but that is the place where sins are hidden, and so on through the entire house. And only when he has cleansed every closet, every room, every corner of sin and foolishness, could Jesus settle down and be at home. 
Jesus enters the hearts, the house of our hearts, the moment he saves us. But he cannot live there in comfort and satisfaction until it is cleansed of sin and filled with his will. How awesome and wonderful that the almighty, holy God, creator of all things, wants to live in our hearts, to be at home there, to rule there, to do his great work there. The extreme makeover, church edition, each one of us as the church, recreating a masterpiece, a masterpiece of his workmanship. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't leave it to ourselves to, to get it right, to do it right, to do a work that we could never do, Father. How awesome and incredible it is that you chose each one of us before the foundation of the world to call us to yourself, Father, to predestine us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And Father, even before time began, you chose those good works, that place of purpose, that place of peace, that place of joy, that place of dependence upon you for all things. And you did it just as individually as each one of our DNA structures are different physically. Father, how, how amazing, how wonderful that you had each one of us in mind, personally, knowledge of us, Uniquely, each one of us different with diverse gifts, personalities, goals, dreams, all those things, Father. But you still chose to have these millions and millions of masterpieces, Father, in which you are working, in which you are living, in which you are loving. And Father, for this, like Paul, in our hearts, we bow to our knees and give you praise. In Jesus' name.